Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Media Podcast Network. All right, everybody, it is Friday, February 10th, 2023. And it is indeed a heck of a morning. We are live on the MMA Fighting Twitter spaces. You can hear the show at its entirety show thereafter on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. I am Mike Heck. Hope everyone's having a wonderful Friday. We are on the eve of UFC 284 and the big title fight between Islam Makachev and Alexander Volkanovsky. We all know the stakes, we all know what is involved. The fight rules. It's going to be massive. UFC's return to Perth. I'm very excited for it. Don't forget, watch party tomorrow, 9.45 p.m. Eastern. Myself, my man GC. It's going to be very festive, I am told. So make sure you tune in for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. A couple of things I want to reveal before we get rolling here. If you're listening on the podcast feed, if if you're listening live, you're not going to get this, but if you listen after the fact, uh, after we do the whole sports radio thing here, uh, you will hear my interview with Amanda Guerra. I talked to her yesterday. She is the desk host for Bellator MMA. She was on the desk this past Saturday, and she does just a fantastic job. She's in Phoenix for the Super Bowl and gave me almost a half an hour of her time during just an incredibly busy week. And I could have talked to her for another two hours about broadcasting and other stuff, uh, but she's awesome. So you'll get to hear that conversation afterwards. And then later on today, we're still figuring out the time. I think it's going to be 3 p.m. Eastern for our live UFC 284 preview show. It is going to be myself, my best friend, Alexander K. Lee, and we will have a very special guest joining us, someone who probably has some insight to these two fights for the most part. Mr. Calvin Cater is going to join us. He is going to hop on in and preview the main event. He'll preview the co-main event for the interim featherweight title 
between Yaya Rodriguez and Josh Emmett. Of course, he fought Josh Emmett last year, lost a pretty controversial split decision. So we'll get some some fighter insights, some featherweight insights from the Boston finisher himself. And of course, he's the head man over at Combat Zone MMA, and they have a big card coming up in a few weeks. And Dana White and company, they're going to be there to film looking for a fight. So a lot going on for Calvin Cater. We'll talk about his injuries, see where he's at with that, and so much more. So let's get into this. I think we've gotten all the the things out of the way. It's a free-for-all Friday. We can talk about UFC 284. We could talk about MMA. We could talk about pro wrestling. We could talk about anything. So let's do the damn thing. Toke is first on my list, so that's where we're going. Toke, hello. Put on your Boston accent when you ask them. Um, so that got him going. Um, but anyways, what I want to talk about, I want to go a bit off the rails. Not, not a lot. I just want to know from you, what would it take for for this to be the biggest UFC year in their history? What I mean by that is, of course, we know when we talk about the iconic years in UFC, we talk about, you know, 2016 uh, with uh, Conor McGregor, champ champ stuff, all that, all that jazz. And I just want to know what could UFC, what would it take for UFC this year to top that would it take two john jones john jones fights and two mcgregor fights and uh, adesanya twice maybe or something what would it take for this to be the biggest year in terms of uh, big fights for the ufc that's just what i want you to elaborate on have a heck of a friday mike and a heck of a weekend when you get there Thanks, buddy. Uh, so the cater thing was pretty funny because I reached out to his manager last night because we were trying to figure out the schedule and the time difference with Perth and all the things that are happening. I mean, the press conference last night, I think it was like at 3 a.m. Eastern time. So we obviously have people staying up for that. And then we have the weigh-ins. They're at different times. So there's only so many people who are actually like on. So it's just a matter of getting the pieces put in place and – AK jumped aboard. So I was like, eh, but, you know, maybe I'll try to get a fighter on. So I reached out to Calvin's manager, the great Tyson Chartier. And I was like, would Calvin be interested in hopping on a preview? Figure he would have some really good insight. We'll talk about his combat zone card coming up. And said, alas, this morning, he goes, Calvin's response was, tell your little brother I said I'm in. Because apparently me and Tyson look alike because we have bald heads and not a ton of facial hair, but I thought that was very funny. And I responded with thanks, big bro to Tyson when we confirmed. So yeah, that was very cool. Oh man. It's going to be as far as like box office and big fights for 2023 to be one of the biggest years ever. I mean, I think they're off to a pretty good start. Getting John Jones back is obviously a step in the right direction. Getting Connor back is a huge step in the right direction. I would say, I don't think you're going to get two Connor fights. I mean, maybe, maybe he goes in there and just melts Chandler in 30 seconds and doesn't suffer a lot of injuries. And maybe they can squeeze him back in for another one before the year is over, potentially a title fight. So I would say 
that would be a big thing. Connor beating Michael Chandler, that fight happening before the winter solstice would probably be a good thing. And then trying to get Connor back potentially for a title fight, whether it's deserved or not, that would be, that'd be pretty big. Another thing that I think would be helpful in terms of box office and interest. And a lot of you may not agree with this, but I'm telling you right now, this would be massive if it happens. If Leon Edwards beats Kamara Usman and Jorge Mazadal beats Gilbert Burns, that is going to be a gigantic fight. And that's the absolutely unequivocally the fight they're going to make. If they can get Hamza Chemaev in there against Colby or Whitaker, and then Hamza gets a title shot in either division, that's going to be huge. I think keeping him active is going to be very big. And those are probably like the bigger storylines involved. I mean, they have stars. And I probably just named the majority of them. Uh, they have very popular fighters, but like Max Holloway is a very popular fighter, but he's not, he's probably not going to be fighting for any titles, probably not going to be main eventing any cards uh, that are on pay per view. He's obviously fighting Arnold Allen. So it's going to be a very tough fight. So I think that would help in terms of like actual newsworthy storylines. Man, this, uh, this is, I mean, 2016 is the craziest year ever in MMA. I know Ariel's talked about it on the MAR. I've talked about it here. That'd be just a tremendous 30 for 30. Uh, a, a tremendous doc just on Connor Nate, that whole thing, all the way up until maybe the end of the year when Nunez beat Ronda Rousey. That was, it was just a gigantic year for the company. It was so big, so many memorable moments. Then the company was sold, everything that happened with UFC 200 and John Jones and all that. Um, it was just a, a crazy newsworthy year. And I feel like this one, if the box office can kind of match the potential of some of these news stories, 2023 probably has the best chance of catching 2016. And what I mean by that is, I know the Dana thing happened on New Year's Eve and that was a huge story. Uh, it's kind of gotten swept away a bit, but that's still a very big story. And then we still have to figure out what's going to happen with this whole James Krause situation, which is still developing and ongoing. And I have a feeling once that gets all finalized, I think that story is just going to be mind blowing when it's all said and done, but there's still like a lot of pieces that need to be put together in this. And it could take, it could take some time. It could be a thing we may not even get a, re a resolution on before these, this year is over. So, um, yeah, as far as fights go, I think what I just mentioned would be big. Getting Connor in there twice would be huge. He's obviously the biggest star in the sport. And then who knows what they do with, with, with in the free agency department. Maybe, who knows, maybe Francis goes in boxes and comes back. I mean, that'd be pretty friggin' big. Maybe Nate Diaz has a change of heart and he wants to come back. I don't know. But as far as the fights go, I think what I mentioned would be very helpful. And then we'll just kind of go from there. Let's go to Mikey. Hi, Mikey. Are you there? Yeah, what's up, Mikey? How are you? There we go. Good, Good how are you? Morning, everybody. And I just had to turn my speaker off and put my mic back on. But uh, 
Actually, yeah, I just uh, wanted to uh, riff off a little bit from what I spoke of yesterday. Obviously, I don't know if you wa- watched the presser. I just finished watching the presser. And uh, again, I know it's like a false equivalency of sorts, but man, when you watch the presser and you see the turnout for that, and then you hear the, the rumblings on social is this car promoted enough? I'm like, in Perth, it seems like they did the job. That place is going to be nuts during the card. If, if, if it's any indication, there were a lot of people at the press conference, like almost, I use this term loosely, Connor-like, you know, where it was like, because the last couple of persons I've been through here in Vegas, not the most, you know, not the most robust amount of people there. This, that, that, it looked like half the arena was filled for the press conference. And let's be honest, not a lot really happened in the presser. I mean, you have a bunch of guys who are kind of really vanilla in terms of their mic skills and promo skills. Of course, you know, Volkanovsky is over soaking it all in, but relatively, you know, none of those guys are trash talkers. But in that crowd there, they were fiending for it for obvious reasons. They haven't had the card in, anywhere in Australia in about four years. But yeah, man, that it's going to be interesting to see the atmosphere fight night or fight morning there because it's going to be nuts and you know people keep again keep bringing up about the promotion it's like i i I think the ufc did their job man that place is going to be sold out and as we talked about now as far as the big commercial year for the ufc i think it's such a loaded question right because it almost feels unfair because 2016 having been you know lived that i don't know how many newer fans are around but if you were around then that was kind of one of those perfect storm things i mean you had you know Brock Lesnar coming back and the John Jones thing, you know, getting X'd out of UFC 200 the last second. I mean, that there was a lot of things that occurred that you didn't foresee happening that were just kind of like it just fell into, you know, heck, even the Nate Diaz, Colin Gregor's up, that just fell into everyone's lap. I mean, that wasn't supposed to happen that way. I mean, and, and to try and prognosticate that for 23, to try to replicate it feels so unfair because the best thing about MMA is when stuff we don't plan on happens, you know? I mean, and uh, you just touched on it. I was going to get to that. It's funny how everyone, a lot of the reaction to the Gilbert Burns, Corey Mobs, all things like, why is that fight being made? Gilbert's a better fighter, all exactly. And it's like, the point is for Masvidal. It's in Miami. It's set up, and I use that term loosely, set up in terms of like, it's now time for Jorge to, you know, come up clutch. He's going to get a title shot if he beats Gilbert Burns. I have no doubt about it because it's like when you see how it's set up, it's clearly set up for him. And plus, as I've always argued, I, w- I wouldn't even mind it if he actually got the title shot right now against Leon Edwards because, again, you want to say he's lost three in a row? That's fine. But those three losses in a row were to Kamaru and Colby Covington. You know, by comparison, he does – he is – he – he has a just more justifiable argument for getting a title shot off losses than Connor does, you know, because Connor's losses are just like random, not random. I mean, you know, he lost to Dustin Poirier and all that stuff, but it's like random. His is too, you know, inconsistent. It's like he fought Cowboy, then he fought Habib, then took a year off, all this other stuff, and then fought Dustin Poirier twice. And it's like, you know, but Jorge, Jorge was actually fighting contenders. You know, so I don't I don't see why he wouldn't have gotten a title shot. Do I necessarily think it's the right call? No, but we also can't stop ignoring the elephant in the room, which is being able to draw is merit. It just is. In fight sports, in combat sports, being able to draw attention matters. I don't care how many losses. I mean, you know, and we're within reason. We're not talking about a person on a six-fight losing streak. You know what I mean? Like, Jorge's fighting the best of the division. He's losing, but at least he's fighting the best, and that's – a lot better than some people on winning streets fighting nobodies. 
You know what I mean? So that'll be all for me today, guys. Have a good one. Be kind. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think if Jorge if Jorge wins and Usman wins, I don't think that fight happens. Uh, I think Mazadal, if Mazadal wins, he'll probably fight Leon Edwards no matter what. So if he wants the Leon fight and he wants to get a, a big opportunity, beating Gilbert Burns gets him there. So I think if he wins, he'll fight Leon no matter what. Uh, and if Leon beats Usman, then they'll fight for the belt. But if Usman wins, they're not going to do – I don't think they're going to do Usman Mazadal 3 because I, I don't think it goes much differently than the first two fights, if we're being honest. And as far as the promotion goes, I mean, we've talked about this a lot. Uh, this is just what the UFC has done. They are not – under promoting this card compared to the last few pay-per-views they're just not 281's a little different they're in new york it's msg it's a whole different thing uh a lot more star power across the board if we're being honest more casual appeal don't have a ton of that here um this is a card for perth this is to sell out the building and the hardcore fans are in and that's how the UFC promotes a lot of things. They know the hardcore fans are in. They know we're going to watch, especially these fights. And at the end of the day, when there is casual appeal, then you will see more promotion. When Connor fights Michael Chandler, they'll be promoting that fight for three months. Like when they actually announce a date for that, they're going to promote the hell out of it. They've been promoting the John Jones Ciro Gon fight more than this one. Why? Because people know who John Jones is. They don't know who Islam Makachev is. They don't know who Alexander Volkanovsky is. The casual sports fan has no idea who those two guys are. Now, I will say, because of the greatness of those two guys, they deserve better. They deserve better. And if you want to get some casual appeal, embedded and countdown and all that stuff, we have very short attention spans. So if you want to do like a three-minute clip on social media – talking the rise of Alexander Volkanovsky, even when he won the belt and go through the Holloway stuff and the perfect game against Zombie and then the even more perfect game against Holloway in July, cool. You want to tell the Makachev story? Cool. But you got to do a little bit better putting these two guys over because at the end of the day, you want the winner of this fight to become a star, to, become, to get casual appeal. And if Makachev wins, I don't think he'll get that. But if Volkanovsky wins, there's a strong chance he could get that. So I think it's important to tell their stories, even if it's not like, buy this pay-per-view right now. Put out a little clip of Volk, put him over. Put out a little clip of Makachev, put him over. I think these two guys deserved better. But as far as like pay-per-view promotion goes, it's the same. It's exactly the same as it has been for years. It, it has been. The only thing that is different about this is that you're seeing a bunch of power slap stuff because they want to try to get that over. And like I said, to me, I feel like this is not a TBS paid them to be on the spot type of thing. This is a UFC paid TBS to be on that spot type of thing. So they want that to succeed so that at the end of the day, they can get money to be on that network moving forward. Not a great start for them. The latest ratings came in and I knew as soon as I saw AEW's ratings, it was going to be a tough hang for Power Slap, and I think they had their lowest ratings ever. Uh, they were like 68th, which is just not good. Not good. They're, they're losing people every week. So without a strong AEW, and the AEW show was pretty pretty bad. I mean, they had some 
The MJF match was great. The Danielson match was great, but everything else was just bad. And I apologize um, for those who wanted to see the ratings tank. And I feel like I'm part of maybe like 15 or 20% of people that were part of that 275,000. I fell asleep watching AEW and I woke up and power slap was already over. So I unfortunately uh, was part of that rating scale, uh, but I didn't watch a single second of it. So that's where we're at right now. But the promotion is the same. I mean, they've literally been doing this since the ESPN deal, unless there's a ton of casual appeal, which this one does not. But we'll see what happens. Let's see if Vol can get over and become a big star. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Rafi, hello. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm, I'm good. So my question for you is, how do you see tomorrow, uh, tomorrow the Volkanovski and Makacha fight going? And what about the co-main Josh Emmett versus Yair Rodriguez? I feel pretty confident Yair Rodriguez will win. No disrespect to Josh Emmett. Just getting to this point, he's gone through a lot, just a slew of injuries over the years. Um, he, he's, he's been at this for a while. And I remember when I first started getting into the sport and, and started covering it and doing interviews, one of the first interviews I had was with Uriah Faber. It's probably like one of my first eight or nine interviews. Uh, he gave me some time and he told me about, about this guy on the come up named Josh Emmett. Wait till he gets to the UFC. I'm telling you, this guy's incredible. His skill set's amazing. He's just had a lot of bad luck with injuries, and it's been like that his entire career. So to see him get to this spot, being a co-main event, being a title fight, massive for him. I just feel like Yair's better. I feel like I, I don't think Josh. I mean, Josh hits like a Josh hits like a truck, but I think Yair has been in there with guys who hit harder and hit more often, and I feel like his durability will hold up, and I feel like Josh Emmett gets hit a ton. Like, I feel like he gets hit a lot. Even though he's he's gotten more defensively savvy as each of these fights have gone on, I do feel like Yair has the advantage. And I, I, I feel like Yair is going to get a finish in this fight. I think Yair could go to the body here because Josh, Josh isn't a large, like, tall man, but he's a bricked-out guy, and he's getting up there, man. Like, he's getting up there in age, and this could be, like, a nasty spitting back kick to the liver <laughs> type finish. Um, but I will go with Yair Rodriguez. The main event, I'm leaning Makachev. I just think the size is going to be too much. Like, I know Volk is strong as hell, and he's he's fought welterweights. He's fought middleweights. I just feel like, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I have been leaning more towards Volk. I feel like as the breakdown and the time has progressed, I feel like Volk has more ways to win than just, well, if he can't, if he keeps it standing, he'll win. 
Uh, I think it's it, there's a little more to that. It just depends. Makachev, you're you're talking about two very patient, high IQ fighters who don't take a ton of risk, and when you have that, someone's going to eventually make a mistake. And Volk is so good at fainting and catching people off guard and making people guessed wrong. And he's so good at that, especially with his, with his striking. It's amazing. And Makachev is just a gorilla, man. Once he gets a hold of you, he gets a body lock on you, you're going down. Like, you're going to the ground. There's, there's nothing you can do. Now, can Volk get up? I think he'll be able to do that for a little while. But I think as time goes on, we'll see how his body holds up. We'll see how that gas tank holds up. I will lean Makachev because of the strength advantage and, and, and being bigger and having that capability and that style to just wear on dudes. I don't think he's going to go in there and try to knock Volkanovsky out as much as he says he's going to. I think that's a pretty bad strategy if we're being honest, but I do think Makachev will end up winning a decision, but that could change by tomorrow because each passing minute, each passing day, I look at Volkanovsky as someone who can create an incredible moment. So, Henry, what's Hi, up? Good man? morning, man. You too. Yeah, I just want to start off with with um, speaking about Israel Adesanya because I feel like he's kind of had a weird career in terms of his star trajectory because obviously in 2019, he looked like he was off to the moon after the Whitaker title win and the Gastelum fight. But obviously, the Yo Romero fight didn't help and then he went back to the Costa fight and it was all kind of strange and I could never really gauge sort of what level of star Izzy was and I feel like this ties in nicely to what he's going to do post Pereira rematch because if he loses is he going to be in that territory where he's in that Max Holloway kind of like no man's land like where does he go does he move to 205 does he stay at 185 so yeah I'm just kind of interested to see your thoughts on where Izzy would kind of go does he fight like the Roman Delizes of the world or yeah I'm kind of curious to know about that thanks man yeah it's a, I mean it's a good question the thing about the thing about Adesanya is that he's fought like everybody he's like when we talk about cleaning out divisions and we talked about this a lot on BTL yesterday um I think everybody loves this main event tomorrow. Jed Mishu doesn't love it, love it. I think he, on paper he likes it. It's a compelling matchup, but he just feels like it's it's too soon to do this fight because in his eyes, champ champ fights and moving up divisions and, and taking these kinds of chances, you should have to clean out your division so there's nobody left before you do that. And Adesanya has almost done that outside of his longtime nemesis. And he'll get the chance to get with that one back. And if he wins, they're probably going to do a third fight, depending on how it goes. Like if Adesanya just goes out there and just melts Pereira in the first round, that's a different story. But if it's another battle and they go to a decision or something like that and Adesanya wins, they'll probably do a third fight. So it's if he loses, though... Yeah, that's when things get interesting. I know, I mean, Drickus Duplessis on the way up. It, it's probably going to be one of those guys. I don't know if it'll be Roman Delize, but I think they see something in DDP. I think they see, I mean, maybe he gets an Andre Muniz or something like that. I don't know. But yeah, it's good. he's going to be in a really interesting spot if he loses again. And I think a lot of people are picking Alex Pereira to beat him again. 
I haven't, I haven't really made my decision yet. My gut tells me Pereira just does it again. Like sometimes just as good as you are, some, some people just have your number, but I think if, I, th- I think Adesanya is probably well aware he needs to put his foot on the gas a little bit more, be a little more of the hammer. And I think if he does that, he's going to have a lot of success in this fight. But we'll see what happens. James, hello. Hey, heck of a morning to you, Mike. And an uh, early happy birthday, too. Yes. Thank you. We're almost there. <laughs> right. Um, and what, you're 40, knocking on the door? Oh yeah, I'm I'm about to pick that lock right. <laughs> well, someone that's getting close to forty himself, uh, hopefully your body's in better shape than mine. But um, I have a little idea that you and GC can do tomorrow um, for the main event. Maybe each one of you guys pick a fighter, and then the loser gets a, a smash cake in the face in honor of your fortieth birthday. Just a just an idea thrown out there for you. But uh, watching that press conference this morning. Is there a better crowd in Australia? Like I know London's up there, and there's probably some other ones you can throw up there as well, but that crowd just seems electric and can't wait to kind of hear them on, um, on Saturday. And I know that you're a, kind of an NBA fan as well. So I, I got to ask you about uh, LeBron's uh, making his shot to become uh, the all-time leader in points. Is it a big deal that Anthony Davis set down? Is it a big deal, no big deal? Is the media making it a trying to make a big deal just for talking points is curious to hear your take on that. And once again, Mike, happy birthday and enjoy the fights tomorrow. Have a heck of a morning. Thanks, man. Yeah. I don't think the cake smash is going to happen because all it does is it's a cool moment, but it also creates more work because then we have to clean it up and don't want Ariel walking in on Monday to like a bunch of cake frosting all over the floor. That ain't, that ain't fair. Um, we'll have, we have some fun things planned. G- GC is about as festive as it gets. He gets all, he goes all out. All I have to do is just get there. And GC just does so much work behind the scenes. Uh, all those guys do. And, and I really appreciate that. It's going to be a lot of fun tomorrow. Uh, still working on something else, but I could assure you, uh, we have two guests in line, the return to the watch party of Shaheen Al Shadi. He will join us for the co-main event, the interim title fight, and then New York Rick will join us for the main event as per usual. And we're going to have some fun. And we'll see how it all plays out. The Australian crowd's on fire, and, and we kind of expected this. We were, we were hoping from, for more of this from the Brazilian crowd, and we got some of that uh, to the, in the build. We, we felt like they were rowdy, they were into it, and then by the time we got to fight night, they just didn't show up. Uh, a lot of it had to do with like the area of the card. A lot of it had to do with the ticket prices and all that. Um, I don't think that's going to be an issue here. So yeah, they're going to be rambunctious and and ready to go. And I think that kind of an atmosphere just makes any fight card better. Just makes any fight card better. Just like pro wrestling, when a crowd's into it and they're all fired up, it just makes all those shows better. And I feel like this this crew will. We'll do just that. Four Corner Sports, hello. So Shaheen Al-Shadi is going to be one of the guests for the watch party, you said? He will. He will uh, be joining us for the COVID. Oh, I'm sure that man is ecstatic after we traded Kevin Durant towards the sun. So hopefully he's enjoying that gift. Uh, he is. Uh, what was I wanted to talk about? So, yeah, yesterday I asked about um, RDA, for, um, what's it called, trying to call out Bilal since Bilal was, was making call-outs towards 
you know, he wanted to fight Colby, Hamza. Um, Artie ended up retweeting saying, what about April? And um, Bilal ended up saying, I got to pull it up exactly. I think it was. Um, yeah, we t- Yeah, he just said, no, I'm trying to get a title shot. Yeah. So, nope, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. Essentially. What do you think is, is next for RDA? I mean, he's in a weird position. He's always going up and down. I mean, the man takes the toughest fights out there. And what's like the what's next for Colby at this point? If you know, if if Hamza goes up towards one eighty five, I mean, he's gonna be like in that in like that weird position where he's gonna be out of it. I mean, what's next for Colby? All right, all right, that's what I wanted to ask. Thanks. I mean, I, I don't know. Colby Colby's such a mystery at this point that until Dana White does his live thing in studio and, and announces something, I, I just I don't know if he's gonna I don't know when he's coming back or who he's gonna fight. It's just I don't know. But the longer the more time that passes, the the, the tougher the road gets. And that kind of leads me to RDA because the road ain't going to get much easier for that, man. I can tell you that right now because something tells me, and, and I have no insight to this whatsoever, but this is, this is what my guess is. If Shafkat Rachmanov just trucks Jeff Neal, which most people expect him to do, that could be the fight. They could do Shafkat versus RDA. What, I mean, RDA is not really in a position where he could say no. So... That could be where he ends up going, and that ain't good for him. <laughs> It'd be very good for Shafkot, but Shafkot's just going to have a hard time getting fights. He's just going to have a real tough time. But guys like RDA, guys with names, former champions, that really aren't in positions to, play, to have power plays, really, where they could be like, nah, I want a guy in the top five. RDA doesn't really have that clout. But he has that name that can help get Shafkot over, and I think the UFC recognizes that. So that might be the direction that he ends up going. But to your shot, man, I respect it. But that fight did nothing for Bala Muhammad. Just nothing. Cody, hello. Hi. What's up, man? What's up? What do you got? What do you got? I'm t- doing a Q&A show, so ask a question, I'll answer it. Oh, uh, okay. Well, uh, what's it, what's it, what, what, do you, what does it take to be a UFC fighter? I want to know. Uh, I don't know. I'm not a UFC fighter. But if you listen to the MMA Hour and you go on our YouTube channel, there are many interviews with fighters that'll tell you all about it. Let's go to Emilio. Hello. What's up, man? Yep. Uh, yeah. Hi, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I got a couple, actually I got one question and that is basically it's concerning the main event of this, uh, of this coming event, uh, Islam against Volk, uh, specifically regarding Islam. Uh, what do you think his star power is? Because I mean, Khabib, you know, when we talk about Islam, Khabib is usually not that far off from the conversation. And I feel like 
Khabib had a lot, of, like a, a couple of sound bites, like really good ones before the Connor fight. But uh, so he was kind of a star in the making. And then the Connor fight just kind of just catapulted him to the stratosphere. I just want to know your take on Islam's star potential. I mean, he seems like a, like a, relatively charismatic dude um i mean yeah he uses a lot of the tropes that khabib did you know like we smash this and whatnot but i don't know i've I, he's kind of grown on me i have to say um so i want to hear your take on on that i mean maybe with a potential connor fight down the line i mean do you think the ufc would even make that i don't know just wanted to get your take on that and also um yeah, with all due respect to the main event and the co-main event, we all know who the real, like, the, the, the people's main event, the real main event of this card is. Paca Porta, baby. That's it. Have a, have a heck of a morning, Mike. Uh, yeah. Talk to you later. Thanks, buddy. Paca Porta, baby. I was telling GC that uh, I'm pumped. We get a Paca Porta fight on a, on a watch party. And could be the only time ever. So this could be a very historic moment uh, for all of us involved. But uh, I'm looking forward to to that fight and, and watching Parker Porter just put on a pace. Like, it's just amazing the pace this man puts on. Uh, when you look at, like, his, his image and his physique, you, you don't think he puts on the type of pace that he puts on these heavyweights. But he can do it, and that should be fun. Islam's star appeal i mean there's interest there's certainly interest in the man um habib helped with that there's no doubt about it i think habib got people over the hump in terms of getting this fight on people's radar like habib's the one who called out volkanovsky after makachev won the title and then makachev just kind of did the thing after and and built it up himself the problem is i don't think like if volkanovsky goes out there and beats islam like his He's got to be a star. He's got to get the rub. It's going to be massive. I don't think Makachev's going to get the same. I think Makachev will, in most, like the hardcore fans' eyes, he'll be, he'll be the dude, the number one pound for pound. He'll be number one pound for pound in everybody's rankings. But then, but, but I don't know. Like, what if John Jones goes out there and just melts Cyril Gaunt? Then... There's going to be a case for him to be the pound for pound guy because, in a lot of people's eyes, he was the dude before he took all that time off. So, but Volk, I don't think, with, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I feel like, like Makachev's, I'm not going to say he's in a lose lose situation. I do feel like if he wins, he's not going to get the credit he deserves. He's going to get the, well, he's a featherweight, not that impressive. Like, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to say that, and that's just not fair. But if Volk wins, he's the dragon slayer, and he's the man, and he's going to get a reaction that is going to make him look like a superstar. So I don't think this fight does that for Makachev. I think it helps in terms of moving him out of the sort of shadow of Habib. I think it's a nice step forward from that. But this will not be – I don't think this is a star-making fight for Makachev, but I certainly think it could be for, for Volk. I think Volk's kind of trending in that direction anyways, more than Makachev. But if – I mean, if Volk goes out there and wins this fight, yeah, he's, he's off to the races.
And I think Makachev can get there. I think there is certainly intrigue. There is charisma there. But I don't think this is a star-making fight for him. Unless he just, unless he creates a highlight reel. Unless he goes, it, like if he goes out there and just knocks Volk out in 20 seconds, that's just going to be ridiculous and unexpected and nobody saw that coming. And that would be a huge moment for him that's going to give him a step forward. But I don't think that's going to happen. All right, let's go take a take a journey to Degenerate University. Hey, Mike. I uh, just kind of wanted to talk about, I felt like maybe like four years ago or so, it didn't really seem like any fighters were active on social, creating content, podcasts, whatnot. But now it feels like almost every fighter has some sort of social presence or is at least attempting to kind of be content creators, uh, podcasts along those lines. So I just want to, from like a media perspective, um, about that shift, right? So now fighters are becoming the content creators and almost asserting themselves into the media that way. Uh, I just kind of wanted to get your take on that. How you feel about that? Is that pressure from agents? Is that pressure for them to find a source of income outside of fighting or uh, just all the factors that kind of go into that? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting time. And I think it's very smart because they can, I mean, obviously with all the sponsorship deals and the apparel deals, uh, the opportunities to get sponsors for fights during fight weeks, they're not there anymore. They're not there anymore. Now you can go out and get sponsorships outside of it and do these things. And any chance you can pad your bank account, you got to take it. And a lot of fighters, like a lot of fighters that I've talked to in particular uh, about this very thing are just like some love doing interviews and some will be happy to do it and they understand the platform and they just want to talk to people who understand what's going on. And then there are others that are just like, well, if I'm going to talk about the fights, like I'll just do it myself and try to reap the benefits myself. And if you're a bigger star, you should do that. Like Izzy's channel, DC, I know he's not an active fighter anymore. We saw it with Bisbing, Cejudo's doing it, uh, a whole bunch. And they should do it. They should do it. And on top of that, I think it's good reps. It's good reps because your career ain't going to last forever. It's a very short window. And maybe you just love the sport so much that you may not want to fight anymore, but maybe you just want to talk about it. Maybe you want to be on a broadcast team. Maybe you want to be on the desk for the UFC. You got to do these things to get reps. And yeah, like in a lot of people, like th there's a shift everywhere. There's always shifts in whatever space you're in. And like, think about it from my perspective. Like when I got to MA fighting, what I was doing then is much different than what I'm doing now. I wasn't doing shows like this. I was doing the interview show. I was doing, uh, it was what the heck. That's what it was called. I forgot. We did what the heck. And it was basically like a, a pre-recorded interview show uh, that we just blasted out all together. And I was the interview guy for a while. And I would host the other, I would host BTL and do the preview and post show and stuff like that. So that hasn't really changed. But then Ariel came, came back. And it kind of sh it kind of shifted things for me. Like, what do I have to do? Uh, and it was easy. It was pretty easy. Like, still, I could still do interviews when I want. Uh, we tried some different things to see how they would play out. And it turned out what I enjoyed doing more was doing this show than doing interviews. And I still do them, uh, but I'm a little more choosy about them. I'll do certain things. Like, if Bellator has some interesting stories, I'll do those. Uh, if there's certain names that come my way, I'll do them. And you just got to shift with it. So 
and fighters are learning that them, themselves. There is, this is a baby of a sport. And although the sport is growing at a ridiculous pace, it's nowhere near where it could be. And the opportunities in the sport, there's going to be a lot more of them in the next five to 10 years, depending on what happens with these organizations. Can PFL maintain the momentum? Can Bellator maintain momentum? Can one do what they need to do? Will there be a new promotion that emerges and does something? And if that happens, that's good for everybody. It's good for the fighters. It's good for the media members. It's good for everybody. So, yeah, I think they're very smart to do this. And some are very good at it. Some are not so great at it. But, again, it's about the reps. It's about practicing and getting better and and, and figuring out what works for you. So I think it's very smart. I don't think there's necessarily pressure on them to make more money. I just think to them, they're especially the bigger stars. Why go do interviews when you could just talk about the fight yourself and make money doing it? So yeah, I, I think it's a it's an interesting shift. I'm surprised it didn't. This is a shift that took so long to get here. For being honest, but it's a good question. And a lot of people are noticing that as well. New York, Rick. Hello. Heck of a morning, Mike. How are you? Good. How are you? Oh, fantastic. Just happy to be here. Um, <laughs> one underrepresented. I, I heard you talking about you know the, the potential gain and loss for Islam Makachev and being in a difficult position. I, I agree with you, and I can appreciate that position. There's one under-discussed um, or underappreciated element of this that I think has kind of flown under the radar, which is the top pound-for-pound pound spot is often not up for grabs, is not often not available, um, because whoever is in that spot tends to stay there until they lose. That's just the nature of how that's gone. Once somebody becomes established, it's very hard to kind of shift them off that position. So from Islam Makachev's perspective, I think it's brilliant to be fighting Volkanovsky, regardless of whether he'll get credit for the individual win. What he's essentially done is removed Volkanovsky from the top spot if he wins, and now he will be implanted there um, for a very long time, theoretically, unless he loses. Now, I, I you, you raised the John Jones point. I could see a world where if John Jones comes back and goes on a nice run, that he could supplant Volk, uh, he could supplant Islam at the top, assuming that Islam wins. Um, but I do think it was brilliant strategically to kind of eliminate the number one pound for pound potentially um, to put himself in there. Because as I said, movement at that very top is very difficult. Um, and by eliminating Volkanovsky, he could hold that spot for a long time. Something that Habib, his, his mentor, was never really able to do until the end. Um, he could get that out of the way early. So I think that's strategically interesting. Uh, along those same lines, when it comes to the actual fight itself, um, and this was the discussion I was having with our colleagues, Jed Mishu and, and Casey Leiden, Leiden um, Volkanovsky tends to get credit as very smart and very and, and a, like an expert strategist, whereas Islam Makachev, Makachev doesn't. But if you if you look at the tape, if you study them, I would I would dare to venture that Islam is just as strategically uh, masterful and and just as smart as a strategist when it comes to the fight game. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that Volkanovsky tends to get that credit, whereas somebody like Islam wouldn't? That's a great question, and I feel I, I feel like these are the if we're talking fight IQ, these are the two best in the sport right now. 
These are the two best to me. Um, I think that it's a little more prevalent for Volk because like, especially with, with the recent run that both guys have had, like Makachev is just killing everybody. Like he's just murking them. His fights aren't really competitive at all. But with Volk, like we've seen him in some wars. Like the, the first two Holloway fights, I thought the first one was clear, a clear win. Uh, but you saw the fight IQ emerge. You saw different movements. You saw strategy sort of change. The elements of his game change. And then you saw it again in the second fight. You saw it more so in the second fight where he lost the first two rounds and he had to figure it out on the fly. Like Holloway looked freaking amazing in those first two rounds. And then Volk just shut his ass down. And we got to see it. And we got to see it and we got to remember it. And especially when we, when you break down a fight that that was, that was that close, that was so divisive because I remember the first, like the first time that like, I just got blasted on social media when I got on MMA fighting was all I said was Volkanovsky beating Holloway was not a robbery and Holy smokes. I got absolutely annihilated. And if you go back and watch that fight in its own vacuum, it's not a robbery. Volk won that fight. Volk won three, four, and five. Got killed for that. And because it, if you go back and watch it now, you'll see why. You'll see the adjustments that he makes. So I don't, I'm with you. I don't think Makachev gets enough credit for that because he just kills everybody. <laughs> So, like, his fights are not competitive, while Volks are a little more competitive. Not the last two fights. The last two fights, Volk just blew the doors off of Green Zombie. And maybe three fights. Like, he made a mistake in the Ortega fight, almost got caught. But every other minute of that fight, Volk was beating the hell out of Brian Ortega. And then he made a mistake. But the last, I mean, then the, the, the zombie fight was incredible. And then the Holloway win was unbelievable that might be the best single performance I've ever seen inside the UFC's octagon or ever in the sport, like individual performance from start to finish. That was, that's a perfect game. The man pitched a perfect game and Makachev hasn't really needed to pitch a perfect game. Uh, he's happy just going out there and striking out the first six dudes. And the team just is like, all right, I'm done. We already know where this is going. So it's a, it's a little bit different. Um, yeah, I and, and and I agree with you on the pound for pound thing. It's very smart. It's very smart. Um, and I think the timing of this is perfect because if Makachev did this eighteen months ago, it's not as it's not as clear cut, and he's probably not the number one guy if he beats Volk. He's probably the number two guy because Usman's up there doing his thing. But what's been interesting about doing the rankings is that we have these conversations and we saw the pound for pound spot being disputed many times over the last 18 months because Usman was the guy who was just beating everybody. And then we saw Volkanovsky emerge and see, seeing the, the types of performances he was putting on. I might've been the first person to put Volk above Usman. I could be wrong, but I was quick to do that. Uh, I was quick to put Shevchenko over Amanda Nunes, even though Nunes, and this is even before, she lost to Juliana Pena. I just feel like reps and wins, and you get you inch closer and closer to that spot. 
If the number one pound for pound guy hasn't fought in 18 months, but the number two pound for pound guy has fought three times and got three dominant wins, you're getting the spot. You're getting the spot in my rankings. So, and then I think a lot of people jumped on board after that. And you could have made a, a strong case for Adesanya getting that spot too, because he cleaned out a lot of his division. It was getting dominant wins. May not have been the most aesthetically pleasing, but they weren't com- really competitive fights. But this is this the timing is really good. The timing is really good. But it will be interesting to see what happens if Jones comes back and has a, a, a great performance. How long people will say Makachev is the pound-for-pound number one. Or if Usman wins back the welterweight title. I don't know. But I think strategically right now, it is a good move. It is a good move. Fighting Volkanovski right now does far more for Islam Makachev than fighting Benil Dariush. And he's kind of the lone man out, and it ain't really fair, but this is a better move for Makachev and his future. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brian, hello. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Good. Uh, so two things I want to touch on. One, um, I kind of want to uh, go into the past a little bit. My co- uh, I had a baseball coach always tell me uh, you need a reality check, and I wanted to thank you for giving me that two weeks ago because I made the fatal mistake of believing a fight that was not on the MMA fighting website, and thank God we got Cheeto and Sanhagen uh, for the San Antonio UFC fight night. So I wanted to apologize to the best website on the planet, MMAfighting.com, and that was a good reality check, so I thank you as well. Uh, But my question here, um, what would you say is uh, the biggest uh, sleeper? I know it's like the typical question. um, On this Australia card, um, a lot of fun, like, contender bouts, um, but for the most part, not too many big names. Which one besides, like, you know, the JDM, uh, Randy Brown, Rude Boy fight are you looking forward to the most? Thanks, Mike. That is a... Good question. Um, I think a lot of these, like, I think a lot of these fights are going to be fun. There's not a lot of big name. There's not a ton of big names on it. There's not a ton of stars on it. Um, but if you just take that out of the equation, you're going to have some fun competitive fights. So let me just pull up the card and let me see what, uh, what really stands out to me. That's going to be really fun. I mean, Crute Manifield is going to be, they're just going to beat the shit out of each other. Uh, these are going to be two men, two men just throwing hands and feet until somebody falls. Malarkey Prado is going to be fun. 
That's going to be a fun one. Clitson Rodriguez, Shannon Ross, I think we'll get a quick finish there one way or the other. Kulabao Bagdasarian is going to be pretty fun and interesting, especially if it goes deep. And then obviously there's a lot of story with the Tyson Pedro Modestus Bacoscus fight. But I would say to me, Malarkey, Malarkey Prado is going to be fun because Prado has that sort of Bruno Ferreira-ness to him where he could just come in and just knock that dude out and it'd be kind of a shocker. Undefeated guy, hasn't fought like the who's who, but just goes out there and has a moment. So there's a chance there. But Krut Menafield, I just feel like, is, is guaranteed five minutes or less. And I hope I didn't just jinx it, but... But I feel pretty confident that one's not getting out of the first five. Barbarusa, hello. Hi, Mike. Uh, I hope you are having a nice day. Um, I want to ask you about uh, Francis Ngannou. I, I, I see. I saw that uh, even uh, right now he was called out uh, by what's his name. Um, the guy who lost uh, two times. Wider. Uh, exactly. And uh, he's in a very good spot right now. And uh, the call-out was uh, really great. Uh, one fight in boxing and the other fight in MMA. I don't know if he's going to hold to his uh, word. But he's in a very good spot. Uh, he was called out from the three most famous uh, heavyweights right now in the world as well. Uh, you have uh, Tyson Fury and Joshua. Uh, it was not directly, but uh, by his uh, manager. And now we have uh, Wilder. I think he's in a very good spot. If you were uh, his manager, what would you advise him? Which fight to take? I think the, the Wilder fight is the best one because he will automatically have two fights. He can make money. And... Any fight is more possible to win. I know it's a little chance for every fight because it's a boxing, but better than Tyson Fury because it's going to be really bad for him. And uh, the second part, do you think he should wait for uh, to sign with uh, anybody till the Jones and uh, Cyril Gunn fight happen? Because if Cyril Gunn wins, he can talk to the casual media i i know the hardcore fans know that mma maths uh, don't work but he can say you see this this is the greatest of all time in mma and i've beaten the guy who beaten him this is why he his talk will rise and he can get a bigger fight thank you mike yeah so the second part i don't think it really matters like, if Gon wins, I think that's not great for, for Ngannou. Like, yeah, it boosts his stock a little bit. Um, but Ngannou's not the kind of guy that's to be like, congratulations, son. It's not, not really his style. He'll, he'll be classy about it and say, congrats, Cyril Gon, you're, you're the champ, but you're not the undisputed champ because I'm that dude. He might say that. Um, and as far as him signing, I, like, I don't know. I, I saw someone point out that uh, one of the PFL reps, I think it was Peter Murray. I forget what, maybe it was an insider. And they're like, they're saying that the talks with Francis are going really well. And then people were reacting like, 
I got a bunch of like DMs about it. Oh, it seems like he might go to PFL. I mean, if you're a promoter right now of any MMA organization, or you know, even if it's BKFC, and you are asked about Francis Ngannou, and you've had any conversation with him at all, like if you texted him hi and he texted you hi back, you are going to go to the media and be like, "Oh my God, we had just had the greatest conversation ever." So you can put the pressure on everybody else. You want to keep everybody else guessing right now. So of course, like if him and Peter Murray just like ran into each other at Starbucks and Francis said, hello, Peter. And he said, hello back. If I'm Peter Murray, I'd be like, yeah, the, 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 the talks with Francis are going great. They're so positive right now. That's what you should be doing. So I don't know where he's going to sign. I do feel like Bellator is the best place for him because of the Showtime boxing. So if he wants to scratch that itch, they can. And Showtime has co-promoted and, and joined forces with, with big names too. So it's not out of the realm of possibility they could maybe get a Deontay Wilder fight or, or any of these other ones. So I would say Wilder's probably the best choice for him right now. I mean, you can't go wrong either way. But him and Wilder are just going to stand there and throw heavy hands at each other and someone's going to fall. And Ghana's probably not going to win that fight. I don't think Wilder is going to fight him in MMA. Like, I think that's just a thing to say. I don't think, I mean, why would he do that? Why would he do that? Like, you can give Deontay Wilder four years to prepare for that, and Ghana will just take him down and sit on him and beat the shit out of him. Like, why would he want to do that to himself? That makes no sense. So, yeah, but you're right. He is in a very, very good spot right now. I'm curious to see where that ends up for him. Uh, let's go to Brock. What's up, Brock? Brock, are you there? All right. Let's try Masoom. Masoom, are you there? We had you. Then you muted yourself. Masoom, you're muted. Hi, um, I want to ask if Max Holloway, I mean Volkanovski, um, becomes beats Islam, and then he moves up a division to to the welterweight, and then becomes a champion. Does he leave the featherweight and Max Holloway? becomes champion and w- w- could you see him leave and yeah thanks man uh no i don't think he goes up to 170 at least not anytime soon i know he said like i've been talking about this for a while i know he says that he wants to keep both divisions busy and he wants to stay active and he wants to go back and forth uh i just don't see it i just don't see it why would Volkanovsky, after beating Islam Makachev, want to go back to 145? Why? I, I don't I, – I, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So he could say what he wants, and he should say that. And I think a lot of these fighters speak with their hearts, and their heart tells them, I'm going to go bounce up and down. Like if I'm going to, I'm going to be that person who goes up and down divisions, and I never stop until I'm done. I just don't see it. 
like the biggest fights for Volkanovski are at 155. They're 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 you can name a, almost anybody at 55, and they are bigger fights than Yair or Josh. Uh, those are co-main event fights for Volk right now. They just are, and I'm not trying to say this to be mean, but they're. I mean, it's just star potential. If Volk has the choice of fighting Conor McGregor or Dustin Poirier or Michael Chandler or Justin Gaethje or those guys at 155 to make all that money in a main event spot, why would you go back down? Why would you go back down? That's why I think it's very smart to do this interim title fight because if Volk does win and he does stay at 155, which my guess would be he would, then you have a champion. If Josh Emmett wins, he's the champion. If Yair Rodriguez wins, he's the champion. Arnold Allen and Max Holloway are going to fight. And if no matter who wins, they'll fight one of those dudes for the title. And I think that's better. I think it puts the division in a better place. And we can just move on. But yeah, I, I, I don't think he's going to 170. Um, maybe he'll try it, but that's something that's going to happen down the line. Like, Volk's not a young buck, so if he's got to do it, the, the clock's ticking, but he's got to rattle off some defenses at 55 first. But all the money fights are at 55 for him. All of them. He might, I mean, he might get the chance to fight Conor McGregor. Why would he want to go back to 45? I don't understand. <laughs> Anthony, hello. Yo, heck of a morning. Yo, I just wanted to ask a question, because I, I kind of, I was thinking this, uh, this pound for pound is on the line, but is it really like saying Volkanovski goes out there and loses a split decision? Or maybe it's like 2-2 going into the fourth or going into the fifth. Like Maybe he doesn't lose that pound for pound. In my eyes, he wouldn't. And, uh, oh, yeah, uh, prayers for New York Rick, man. Ain't nothing wrong with him. He just got, new, he just got mysterious Frank this week. <laughs> oh, man. That's funny. Um... Look, I, I think if it's, a, if it's a close competitive fight, the UFC is going to present it as such that Makachev is the number one guy. But that doesn't mean he's going to be the number one guy in the MMA fighting global rankings. I guess, I, I, I guess unanimously. If Makachev wins, I'm probably putting it at number one. I feel, I feel pretty good about that. You beat the top dude, you get the chance to fight him, you take the spot. I have no issue with that. Uh, there are some people who are going to question it, especially if it's a competitive fight. But I think Makachev will, will be the guy, and that's cool. It's not saying Volk can't get it back. And then again, once John Jones comes back, if he goes out there and just beats the hell out of Cyril Gaon and finishes him in the first round... Who even knows if Islam will be the number one guy anymore in, in most people's eyes. So it's going to be an interesting conversation. Uh, four on Sniper, what's up? Oh, you're breaking up like crazy. Hello? Yeah, I hear you. Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, I got gotcha. you. I think somebody else took a question. I'm going to ask 
when it comes to Jack Della Maddalena, I kind of expect him to go out there and put Randy Brown away fairly quickly. Would you throw him into the top 15? Would you and then push him in the top 15? Thanks, man. Um, yeah, dude. He's if 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 JDM goes out there and melts Randy Brown, he's getting a ranked guy. I mean, this is I, to me this was perfect matchmaking because Randy Randy Brown's really good. Like he's really good. The betting odds on this one are shocking. Minus three hundred five for Jack Della Maddalena. The comeback on Randy Brown is plus 255. I think this fight is much closer than that. I would favor Jack Della Maddalena. I'm probably going to pick him to win, but this is not plus 255 to me. I don't think so. Like, if you're looking at this from a betting perspective, unless you're going to parlay, unless you're so confident that JDM is going to win and you want to put him as like a parlay piece, I mean, there's no value on Jack Della Maddalena from a betting perspective. All the values on Randy Brown. All of it. All of it. Because I just think this fight's much closer. I really do. But if he beats Randy Brown, if he goes out there and puts him away quick, yeah, he gets a top 15 guy. And let's look at, let me just pull up like my rankings right now. I would chuck him in there with I don't know, man. I would probably, like. I don't know if Neil's ranked anymore, but like Neil Magny would be a good would be a good one. Or you could just go crazy. Maybe you could throw him in there with RDA. Guy like Vicente Luque. I don't know. There's 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 lots of options. But if he goes out there, because again, much like Volk, if Jack Della Maddalena goes out there and just puts Randy away, he's gonna look like a superstar. That place is gonna go absolutely insane for him. He's going to look like a star. And people are going to demand something bigger for him. So, yeah, it's a good spot for him to be in. But I don't think this is a fight that's that wide. As, as wide as the betting odds, odds are suggesting. I think it's going to be – I think it's the – outside of the main event, I think it's – I mean, the co-main event's interesting. Um, but I think this is much more competitive. I don't know. I don't know. This is a really good fight. I don't think it's it's definitely not minus three hundred five to plus two fifty five to me. Uh, Max, hello. Lone Wolf will close with you. Hello, Mike. Thanks for fitting me in the show today. I appreciate it. Um, I just want to ask about uh, a fight on the card between uh, Josh Kulabal and Melsic Bagdasari. And if anyone had asked about it prior, I kind of hopped in a bit late, so I apologize. But uh, yeah, I think this is quite an evenly matched fight between uh, good old Melsic and Kulabal here. I bet people who had just hopped in the UFC in the last year probably don't even know who Melsic is. But guy's a straight killer, you know. I know fought out of Ronda Rousey's gym, but I wouldn't let that anyone wouldn't let that fact haze anyone's uh, vision on how good Melsic can be. But Kulabal's gotten really sneaky over the last, you know, while or so. You know, I wouldn't have picked him as my star candidate when he got in the UFC, but now he's, you know, rattled off all of his... Uh, victories since uh you know coming in with a loss so yeah what do you think about this fight i think melsa can maybe pull out the win but cool about sneaky so anyways thanks for the time brother cheers yeah i agree with it. it's a good fight really competitive fight on paper um i think if we're being fair 
I think Melzik dodged a pretty significant bullet in October. Uh, I mean, breaking your hand is not good, but he would have had to fight Joe Anderson Brito in October, and that would not have been a good matchup for him. This one is a much more competitive fight. It's on a pay-per-view card. It's going to be in front of a crowd. Uh, it's, it's a much better spot. And I think when you look at actual talent development, when you're trying to promote a sort of greenish MMA fighter as a young UFC up-and-comer, I think the road he has taken has been almost perfect. To go from Colin Anglin, who's a tough out, uh, to Bruno Souza, that was a hard-fought matchup. And now he's fighting John Kulabal. I actually feel like the development is is perfect. Like, it is a perfect next step for him. And Josh is really good too. And, and I kind of feel the same way about Josh. He's a fun dude. He's a fun fighter. And it's kind of tough for him because, I mean, you have to debut against Jalen Turner. Yeesh. That's a, that's a tough draw. Then you get Charles Jordan and pun completely intended. That was a draw too, like an actual draw. Uh, and then he gets Shylin Nerd and Becca. That's a good win. I think that's a win that's going to age pretty well. And then the Sung Woo Choi fight was a lot of fun. So yeah, I like this fight. It's very competitive and it should be a good one. All right, we'll take one more and then I got to go. So we'll see if we can get Lone Wolf through. If not, we'll go to crypto. Eh, you know what? I'll take crypto too. But no more. Hello. Can you listen to me? All right, I can't get Lone Wolf through. So crypto gets in. Um, now I can't get crypto in. What the hell, man? Can you hear me, Mike? No, crypto ain't getting through either. Rips and picks. Can we get you in? We're failing miserably. What's here. up, Mike? Can you hear me? Hey, Mike, can you hear me? I can't get you in either. All right. I think this is the the MMA gods telling us we need to stop. So, yeah, good stuff, everybody. Really appreciate it. We will be back at 3 p.m. Eastern. It is confirmed. Oh, Jesus. Oh, boy. It has been a minute. We got to do it. We got to do it. And he got through. So it's meant to be the return, the long-awaited return of a head. The heck of a morning. Holy shit, man. When was the last time you were on? It's been a while. Yeah, I've been busy. I've been busy doing like other things. I like, you know, there's a world outside of MMA. <laughs> you know, like we all go to MMA as escapism, right? But the world outside of MMA. Um, What's up, man? Yeah, it's all good. Like, I want to, uh, I'm here to give my prediction for UFC 284. Um, I, I think Alexander Volkanovsky finishes Makachev. I really do. Ooh. I think, um, and I think everyone is highly underestimating Volkanovsky. And I think everyone is just approaching it wrong. I think they're thinking about this wrong. You know, they just, I'm like, I remember in October 
last year I called it, I said Markachev would beat Oliveira. Why? Because jiu-jitsu has significant flaws. Because I, I, I ranted about this last year. I said jiu-jitsu, like the Gracies, they picked and chose their opponents in the development. And then that led to flaws in the development of jiu-jitsu. And I said the Sambo can expose that. But the thing is, is like with Alexander Volkanovsky, the guy he's brought in to help him, it's not jujitsu anymore. Um, he's brought, for those that don't know who haven't watched the countdown, he's brought in Craig Jones. Now, for those that don't know who Craig Jones is, he's very funny, but he is also one of the elite of the elite of submission grapplers. Not, notice I said submission grappler, not jujitsu, because like these guys from ADCC, they're built different. Um, specifically, the ones who train, who used to train with John Danaher, GSP's old jujitsu coach, they're built different. And Craig, I've been really impressed with how he talks about submission grappling, how he's so open in the criticism of jiu-jitsu and they give up bottom position they want to sit uh, and you know play guard and he talks about how you know if you can get up get up if you can go to turtle or referee's position go there and try and stand up so i i really feel like he is going to be a huge part of volkanovsky's career um so Volkanovsky's win um, against uh, Markachev. You know, you have to remember Jamal Hill, you know, he got somehow got our full mount under Glover Tashira, you know, and Volkan all respect to Jamal, but I think Volkanovsky's a different, like, beast, a different brand of a human being. So I think, like, for him, when you're facing a specialist, you don't have to be as good in their area. You just have to be good enough to neutralize them or to surprise them and then go back to your preferred um, you know, specialty the way Jamal did. And I think Volkanovsky can do that as well. And um, also, like again, against Ortega, he defended those submissions, right? Why, why do you think that was? It wasn't just because of Hart. It was like he defended four submissions. It was because of Craig Jones, right? He, he got out of all of them. So I really believe that uh, I, I really believe Volkanovski gets it done because he's got Craig in his corner. It's different. And because he's also got the Hickman brothers helping him as well. Yeah, I think, um, I think Alex gets it done and new. And even a surprise submission, probably, um, possibly. Um, yeah, that's it. I love it. I love the gusto. I just have so many questions. Like, I just want to see, like, it's going to be real interesting if Volk starts shooting. Like, if Volk just takes him down, like, that's going to be, I'm going to be like, oh, okay. Now, now we got something. Because he might just get, I mean, he could just take him down and get him and just stand right back up and be like, all right, I can, I can do this too. There's a lot of layers to this fight. Like I said earlier, this is not a, it, this is not as simple as, well, if Volkanovsky can stay on his feet, he'll win. But if Makachev gets the takedowns, he'll win. It's not that simple. There's a lot more to this fight. And I can't freaking wait for it. And we're going to talk about it even more at 3 p.m. Eastern when the great Calvin Cater joins myself and AK on the live UFC 284 preview show, 3 p.m. Eastern. Join us for that. Um, I will be off to New York. First thing tomorrow morning for the watch party. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, we will have a people's pre-fight show at 5.15 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow. Uh, I believe it's myself and E. Casey Lydon. And then the watch party's at 9.45 p.m. Eastern. And then we'll have 
We'll have all your post-fight press conference stuff because Jose is in Perth. We'll have a post-fight show. AK and I will be live on Sunday morning for on to the next one for matchmaking. And just buckle up, everybody. Just buckle up. It's going to be a fun, fun weekend for UFC 284. So if you're listening live, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your Friday. We'll see you at 3 p.m. Eastern. And if you're listening on the podcast network, you can now hear my interview with Amanda Guerra, the desk host for Bellator MMA. Really enjoyed this conversation. I think you will as well. Thank you very much. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a heck of a morning, everybody. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am very excited about this conversation. I have a lot of respect for this individual. She's been killing it on the desk for Bellator MMA. She did a fantastic job on CBS this past Saturday night at Bellator 290. And there's so much I want to talk to her about because I am such a broadcast geek myself that I just want to talk broadcasting and everything that goes on in this space. So let us welcome in Amanda Guerra, who is in Phoenix, Arizona for the Super Bowl. And she's kind enough to give me some time in the middle of her extremely busy schedule, which I appreciate a lot. Amanda, thank you for doing this. How are you? Of course. Yeah, I'm good. A little tired. I'm a little tired. We got into Inglewood on, so today's Thursday. We got to Inglewood on Wednesday, and then I came straight from there to Phoenix. So just a couple more days to go, but it should be fun. It should be a good Super Bowl. And then, of course, coming off the show on CBS was a lot of fun. So like I said, there's so much to talk to you about. And I guess right off the bat, how long have you been in the broadcast space? So, gosh, since I was 22. So I started a journalism major. I went to Oklahoma and then I started doing news and I did news for like 10 years and I hated it. It took me a long time to realize how much I hated it. And it just, it was never excited to search for stories and do things like that. Like I like talking to people and I like the broadcast industry. And one day I just went into my news director's office and I was like, hey, I think, I think I'm going to quit. And so I quit news and I just walked out. I didn't do anything really for like six months. And I tried radio and it was still radio news. And I was like, okay, so news is definitely off the table now. I've tried two mediums. It's not going to work. And so I wanted to work in sports and I had always dreamed about it. I thought I was too old and got started too late. And everybody knew the thing is working in sports, whether it's fighting and MMA, any sport, people who are in that industry know everything about it. And it is so intimidating to be in that arena. But I mean, I think you hit a point in life where you're just like, look, either I play the safe route or I go after something really fun. So I called every sports person in Dallas I knew. And I said, are you hiring? And the Texas Rangers baseball team hired me for a little bit. And I had a friend who worked at ESPN. So he sent my tape to CBS. And that's how I got that. And I can... BS. I don't know if I should say the full word. Uh, my knowledge of how much I knew about every sport, but it was enough to get the job offer. And then I just kept studying from there. Amazing. So if, if this is like five or seven years ago, whenever you had this sort of aspiration of like, I'm just going to go into sports and do this. And someone just asked you all these years ago, Amanda, what would be more likely getting to cover the Super Bowl and go through that whole week of craziness or be in the MMA space, running the desk for a major organization? What would have been oh, the MMA, the MMA for sure? Far, like the furthest thing from 
my imagination. Yeah, I would have never, ever anticipated. And the way the whole thing came about was crazy, but it's been one of the biggest surprises and delights of my career in life. And like the Bellator family is family. They're so close that it is, I can't believe they weren't in my life before this. I love them so much. Well, I mean, you, you brought it up. It's a crazy story. So I, I, and I'm trying to get the timeline accurate just to, just to be sure. Cause you've been a part of the broadcast team and on the desks for like 14 or 15 months, right? Like November. Yeah, more than a year. I think my first one was, I know it was in October. So we're in 2023. So what has that been? Was it the cyborg? Was it the Chris cyborg fight? Yes. Yeah. So that was, so that was yeah. I also live in South Florida. So I could head over to the stadium pretty easily. Yeah, I, I remember that card. It was Chris Cyborg, Sinead Kavanaugh. It was, I think it was Bellator. It was either 271 or 272. And I remember they were in Hollywood, Florida. And they go to the desk and I see Josh Thompson there. And he's he's been there for a long time. And then I see you there. And, and I remember thinking, all right, I've never seen her before. And then you just went out there and you delivered and you were a pro and I think I even reached out to you after that card and gave you props privately because I thought you did such a great job. And in this space that is very, very difficult, no matter who you are and you handled it in stride. But so tell me the story, like how did this come to be? How did this, did this MMA thing and the Bellator thing get on your radar? It was, so it was crazy. Um, yeah. And I appreciate you saying that because the way my boss at the time put it, we had a, a group meeting. He's like, we're asking this girl to jump on a train that is moving at 250 miles per hour and to understand everything within a very short period of time. So I cover, we cover all sports at CBS, literally every single sport. And we all have things we like, right? Like, you know, I love NBA drama and I want to cover that or college football, whatever it is. And my co-host, and I love him dearly, did, he is not into the fighting world. So I started taking all the fight segments with um, like our guys, like BC and Brian Campbell, Luke Thomas and stuff like that. And, you know, I didn't really understand it all that much, admittedly, but I'm good at asking questions. And so, you know, we wanted the guys who sat next to me or even, you know, some of our experts and analysts or the guy who runs our podcast, I was like, hey, I need help with this. And I mean, in the great, the thing about like the world of MMA, where it's so different than any other sport is it is just that person. Like there is no one else. There's not a team. It is just that person. And so to put aside so much of your life and to dedicate so much of your life to being in that spot, you have to respect that. So every person who steps into the cage has a great story and you're rooting for them one way or another, just because of the sacrifices and the time and commitment that they've gone through to be there. So I loved it. And then I guess they were looking for a new co-host for Josh, at least for why my boss called me into his office and he's like, Hey, the Bellator show's coming up. They'd want to know if you'd be interested in doing the desk segment with them. I was like, okay, well, tell me more about it. And he's like, it's one, maybe two fights. And then they'll see where it goes from there. And I think I had two weeks, maybe, maybe until the fight was going to happen. I said, well, send me some shows because I want to look at it, not from a fan perspective, but from a, a broadcast perspective. Like, what does the host do? How much are they talking? Do they write their own stuff? Do they not? Um, and so I, I looked at it and I was like, okay, I think, I think I can do this. Um, but I'm going to need, you know, help. And it was just the terminology, like world of MMA fans, they terrify me. Soccer fans may terrify me a little bit more. <laughs> um, 
because like if you get something wrong they will let you know immediately and the names you know like Norman Medov like I can say that now but in the beginning you're just like I did what is this you know how do I work with this um and so I know from a broadcast perspective like lean on the people make it simple and that's how I got through the first show was just make it simple and I'm good at storylines and I think as a viewer Josh is there and Big John and Moral, they can talk tactics, right? They can talk all the details in the world. Like this guy's good at submissions, this guy, whatever. Um, my job is to sell their stories. And that part is the same across the board, whether it's news or sports or MMA. And I could do that. So that's kind of how it went down. And the first show went really well. They asked me to do another one. And then they um, offered a year contract. So, you know, it's been a lot of fun. That's amazing. And so like, what was, I know you had to do some, you had a couple of weeks to prepare and, you know, I love the analogy that this is a 250 mile an hour train that you're just kind of hopping into, but yeah, we're, we're, I know you're reaching out for help. You wanted to get up, but were people trying to warn you at all? Like, look, these, these MMA fans, they can be pretty ruthless. And if so, like, how are you able, I, I think, like I said, I think you did a good job, but were people trying to tell you, like, just try to stay calm, but you know what, if you mess up, they're going to they're going to crush you because that's just how these people are. No, I mean, I think I knew that already. Uh, we had had one instance where somebody I knew did an MMA segment and they butchered several names. It was not me. And I'm, I'm not going to say who this person is. And it went viral because it was so bad. So I think learning from that experience and watching people go through that. Um, and like I said, there are certain fan bases for certain sports that are ruthless and, and the fighting world is one of them. And soccer is probably my other one. I'm, I'm so scared of soccer fans. I'm so, so scared. But um, no, you know, everyone's, and that's the thing about that Bellator family and going into it was everyone was there to help no matter what I needed. And they have an incredible research team. So we have a guy named Corey and he puts out research packets on every single fighter before we go into a show. And so it has their whole background, their gym, their record, you know, their whatever their background is as far as like BJJ or whatever. Um, and then he does interviews with them. So I can rely heavily on those notes. So I was able to put in perspective and I wasn't going to talk about something I didn't know about. Now I can talk about that a lot more. Like I'll know the details of the fighters or their fighting backgrounds and, you know, they're stylistically, you know, how they match up with one another. I know that a little bit better. Um, and I, I, I go to ATT. I talked to King Mo, I talked to Johnny Evelyn, like I bug these people. And I talked to John and Josh constantly of cross. And Josh and I would do phone calls before, like a two weeks before a fight, we'd hop on a phone call and I'd write down everything. So yeah, everybody was really kind. Nobody tried to warn me. I think I already knew enough that I just needed to play it safe. I mean, that's in any industry, like keep it clean, play it safe. And then you can add on a little bit after that. I feel like you and Josh actually, you have a really good chemistry together because, you know, look, I, I've been kind of critical of Josh on the broadcast over the years, but I feel like you have loosened him up in a whole different way. Like you guys vibe very well. He just like, he's very knowledgeable and he adds so much to the content because he's a freaking former world champion. So how could he not? But I feel like, and I feel like he's got a good broadcast presence and, you know, He's, he's not the worst looking human being to look at either. So <laughs> jawline, ridiculous. Like, it's, it's, like, it's, it's like Tom Brady-esque. Yeah. It's ridiculous. 
But the one, but I feel like he's just much more relaxed now. And I feel like you've done a great job of just flowing with him and he feeds off you really well. Did you notice right away when you met Josh that you guys had really good chemistry? Cause it's, it's undeniable on the screen that you guys just feed off each other really, really well. Yeah. I'm trying to think like, even when we first met, um, if there was ever an awkward moment, I don't think that existed. Um, and, and it might've helped because I wasn't paying attention to the fighting world when Josh was fighting. So sometimes when you meet athletes or really well-known people, if you're not so familiar with their background, sometimes it works in your favor because you just see them as a person, right? So I just saw him as like, hey, you're my analyst and I I want to know more about you, but I'm not going to put like, I'm not going to make your head any bigger than it is, you know? Very nice hair, Joshua. Very nice hair. Um, and so we were friends, we became friends first and we work really well together. And like I said, it's the whole family and it's kind of one of those, you know, they'll give you, can I say S-H-I-T? You can they'll say whatever you, you want. <laughs> they'll give you shit. Like you give them back shit. You know, it's a lot of like horsing around and stuff like that. And I, I could see where, and like I said, I didn't watch him when he was fighting and I saw a different side of Josh than the one that was on camera. And, and I've had this experience before with people where the person you see off screen is much different. I mean, he is the kindest person and he's so nice to everybody and non-judgmental and just like wants the best for everyone. He will go out of his way to talk to anybody, like whether it's a fan or if it's just somebody working in a restaurant and he's just so kind. And I think when he was on air, it was a little stiff. And so my job, and, and this is part of the job, is like to pull that softer side out of him. Um, and it's also very difficult for a former athlete to jump into the broadcast world. Like I've yeah. been doing this, what, 15 years at this point. Um, and I've seen it with tons of former athletes and they really, really struggle with it because you're not used to coming at it from that side. So I think that's where we were able to work well together. And like I said, we're really, we're all very, very close. Annoyingly so. <laughs> Sometimes you need a break. But after a fight, I'm like, cool, don't want to see you guys for a couple of weeks. <laughs> and it works out that way. Yeah, it's, it's good. But this is obviously taking you into these whole different places and into these big moments because you got to be there for Fedor's final fight. Like you were sit when he was walking out, I mean, that walkout gave me goosebumps just watching it on my oh, little television in the office here. It's ridiculous. You're right on top of it. And, you know, his legacy and everything he brought to the table, what most longtime fans would say about him, and I've said this many times in the lead up to the fight, like just seeing, even seeing him on television in person, there's just a mystique about this man that not many others, not only in MMA, but just in the sports world have never had. Like the skills, the resume, it's all really impressive, but it's the aura that's like that dude right there. That's a different kind of dude. So to experience that during his final fight week and just kind of see that moment after the fight with all the legends bidding him a farewell, what was that experience like for you? What was that like to be around for the final time? It was incredible. I mean, first of all, I didn't feel deserving um, because, you know, sometimes when you, you get these opportunities, you're like, someone else should be doing this. Like, I don't deserve to do this. I haven't been covering this long enough to be able to say, Hey, you were there for Fader's last fight. It was, it was incredible. The whole week was incredible. 
The lead up was incredible. Um, so we do fighter meetings. Obviously, we do it two days before the fight because weigh-ins, everybody's trying to cut weight. Um, so we do it the day before that. And, and you're right. Like, he does have this mystique. And when he walks into a room, everything changes. The energy changes. And you kind of become more serious because he's a fairly serious person. But it's always fun when he can joke around. Um and, and he's always been like that, just whenever he's walking like through a hotel or something. I mean, he just has that aura about him. And so what I think was nice. So this is my my first and last fatal fight. I had never covered him on the card before, but he was so at peace. And even in our fighter meetings, you know, he said like somebody asked him, like, how do you be? Um, Oh my God, who's the guy I went up against? Now I'm blanking. Almost said Johnny Evelyn, but it wasn't. Um, Ryan Bader. And he just he just laughed. And because I think he knew like there's not, there was not gonna be a huge chance for him to win that fight. We were joking after like how much training did he actually do going into it? Or was like he just eating a hamburger like two days before. Um, I think that he needed a way to end his career, and and this was gonna be it. And and he just laughed when somebody asked, like, how are you going to beat him? And he goes, I'll, I'll tell you after it's done, you know, and but talking about he got emotional talking about his legacy and, you know, looking back on your own career. And he's not a man of many words. And he said, I love it when people come up to me and say, I got into the world of MMA because of you. And like the Fedor team, Team Fedor that he's built, he's like, I've had kids that I've watched become champions. And I really believe like that is what he sees his legacy that he's created um, more so than his own records in the cage. It's, it's what he's done outside of it. And then, yeah, just to see those legends there with him. I mean, when he laid down the gloves, like, I don't know if you noticed, but like Big John does not get emotional and he like you could hear his voice crack in that moment. Um, but it did it did make you realize like how how old he was with all the the legends behind him and they all look like they should be like a golf course or like sitting back having some bud lights like you know and they're talking about their old knee injuries and you're like this guy was doing it this long like he's one of them and he's been doing this for so long so it was just it was an incredible moment and I loved after um he did his press conference and he went into the hallway every reporter who was there he stood there and talk to every single one of them until they were done asking their questions. And that speaks a lot, I think, to his character and who he is. And he had a smile on his face the whole time. We don't see smiles from Fedor a lot. And he could not stop smiling. And I think that just should make everybody really happy knowing where he is in his head now taking this next step in his life. It was it was incredible. Yeah, one I love the legends idea. I, there was a part of me that kind of felt a little icky about it because I didn't think the fight was going to go well for him and that I just didn't want to see him like get knocked unconscious and then have to stand up and have the moment. But it didn't happen that way. Like he got beat up. He didn't get he didn't get knocked unconscious. Like he was fine. But immediately you just saw like it was like you said, he was like 20 pounds lighter. He just the smile never left his face because it was over that he got to turn yeah. the page. And it, it was just a kind of a surreal moment to see it like. This is probably the happy wins losses. If you ever watch Fedor fights like back in the day, 
he would have these iconic moments and he would just go like this little fist pump and walk away. And that's just it. One. Just that's the it. One. Just, just the one. Just the one fist pump. And now he's just, he's smiling. He's happy. Like this is the most emotional we've ever seen the man. And it was because his career was over. It was just, it was very surreal to watch. And you were in the building watching it all happen. And I will say, I mean, we had contingency plans. That was the most unknown part of the show. And especially on CBS where on Showtime, we don't have commercial breaks. On CBS, we had to take commercial breaks. But it was, okay, if he wins, if he loses, if he's knocked out, like, how do we, who do we talk to first? Like, if he loses, do we talk to Ryan first and then him? Do we talk to him first and then Ryan? Like, there was a lot of it. And I will say, like, I had the same reaction from you when they initially said they wanted all the legends to come in the cage. And it was Scott Coker's idea, and I will give him credit. I love that moment so much more than I thought I would. I thought it was going to take away from Fedor and it just, it's, I think it helped visualize his legacy because we can put up full screens and we can talk about it, but to see all of those guys, and I mean, he's beaten basically the hall of fame and the careers that they had, and they showed up for him. Like, I don't know if we've ever seen a fighter retire that had that many other fighters show up to pay their respects to someone like that. Um, and it was a group, I think you could see the camaraderie and that's something we don't see a lot because you never see all these guys together. So that was a moment I, I loved a lot more. So credit to Scott Coker, cause I had the same reaction. I was like, mm, I don't know if I like this. And it, it turned out really well. Yeah. I, I love the concept of it all because I mean, you've been around sports long enough, football, basketball, whatever they, a lot of these sports do such a great job remembering the past and giving credence to the the, the players and the athletes that brought us to where they are today. And I feel like in MMA, these fighters don't get the appreciation that they deserve once their careers come to an end. So to see everybody come together and Scott having the wherewithal to, to salute Fader like that, I thought the idea was absolutely brilliant um, to, to put them together. And it was a great moment. It ended up being a really great moment. That photo is I need that framed and put on my <laughs> fake my fake wall back here. I, I need it. it. It was just an incredible moment. And it just capped off a very good night for Bellator because Johnny Eblen, who you mentioned earlier, that man is a problem like of epic proportions. And Dang. I remember saying this about LeBron and I'm not comparing Johnny Eblen to LeBron James. But maybe he will <laughs> be, but- do it. All time NBA scoring leader, Johnny Eblen, <laughs> same thing, you know. What do you say, 13-0 now? <laughs> but I remember when LeBron was like, you know, the fourth, fifth, sixth best player of all time in people's eyes. And I'm like, one of the scary thing about this guy is he's not as good as he's going to be. He's still going to get better. And that's how I feel about Johnny Eblen. That guy is a problem. And then Brennan Ward, who, you know, fell into Englander like myself, wow. been watching this guy for so long. And it, it was just an incredible moment to see everything he's gone through and left the sport for all this time, overcame some demons, came back and had this moment, first win ever on CBS for Bellator. I feel like his stock rose tremendously on this card. Johnny's as well. What did you make of their performances? Because you want to try to make stars out of these events. And I feel like you're on the precipice of two of them right now. Yeah. And it, it's, it's hard to start. I'll start with Brennan Ward um, just because he kicked off the night. So this is my second, no, my third Brennan fight. I was there for his initial return. And then um, the one before this and he you can't help but root for this guy and you can't help somebody who has been in prison, who didn't know if they were going to live, who is addicted to some of the worst drugs in the world. And I mean, it just, 
to see where he is now. Like, I know it sounds really weird, but I, I saw him after and I was like, you know, you're trending on Twitter. Uh, your name is one of like the top 15 names right now, like in all of the United States that is trending. And I don't, he's not a big social media guy, so I don't think he cares, but he did like, no, he knew like, this is, I've done this. So it was when we talked to him that week, so the first fight back, and I mean, it, it's very fair to say, we needed to know if each fight, Brennan, are you playing? Like, are you playing? Because he had been sober before the first one for like nine months, so not even a year. And, and in the world of sobriety, that is something to be praised, but it is also like, it is an everyday long journey thing. Um, and then he did great in that first one. And then the second fight, the one before this, he seemed different. And and Big John said, I heard, I heard you haven't been training. And he couldn't, he couldn't say anything because he hadn't been. He was working out maybe one or two days a week. And, and thankfully he managed to get the win. And that stuck with him so much that when he saw Big John before our fighter meetings, he pulled him aside. He goes, I want you to know that stuck with me. And he's like, I quit my job. He, and he was yoked. I mean, if you saw him in that fight, I mean, the dude did not have an ounce of fat on him. He's like, I can't believe I didn't do this, you know, however many years ago. He's like, but I can't be angry about that because I'm doing it now. And the work that it takes to be at that extreme level, he has been doing it consistently. So for him, and I mean, it was an incredible fight, you know, like poor Sabah Masi looked like two-faced after. It was, just, it was bad. Like he couldn't get the blood out of his hair. And so I saw him in the hotel after it was still like tinged pink. Um, but so for Brennan to be able to do this and just pray that it continues, you know, he has his young daughter. He really changed his life. Um, he's expecting another baby girl really soon. So hopefully this is just the beginning and nobody deserves the credit but him because he, you have to make that choice. Right. And, and he's putting in the work. And then as far as Johnny, I mean, like you said, freak of nature, like <laughs> I went over to ATT, um, the week before we all left. And, and first, I mean, it's just an amazing gym and for them to like, just let me sit and watch their practices is, is great. And I was talking to King Mo, who's his main coach and, and some other guys, like he is the most freakish person in this gym. Like he is there all the time. He is a workhorse. What he's been able to do, like when he came in, obviously from a wrestling background, and then he started doing stand-up there, like he got his ass kicked for a year and a half, like just handed to him. And then finally, when he was starting to hold his own and stand up, they're like, there's no stopping this guy. And what's weird about it, and, and I don't know if this is good or bad to say, for him, he's like, this isn't the biggest part of my life. You know, he's like, I, I want to do good. You know, this is just a chapter. But sometimes for people to have that mentality makes them that much better because they're not emotional about it. And he, there's, there's no stopping him. He is wild. And, and I will say it was fun, though, because when I was there, it was right before they had announced the Masvidal fight and they start to train together sometimes. And Jorge was in there. I was like, what is, what is he doing here? Like, are you just practicing? Like, what, what's going on here? And sure enough, they announced his fight like a day later. So, yeah. But yeah, Johnny's a freak. He's I don't know who because when he went up against Musasi, we all thought he was going to ask it. Honestly, everybody did. And he was like, you guys, I'm going to prove you all wrong. And now look what he's doing. I don't know who's going to take him. Yeah, it's got to be very tough to to find credible opposition for him. Maybe the Musasi Edwards winner, and we'll see. Maybe they run it back. Maybe Fabian gets he is shot. He's very interested in that. Yeah, yeah, he's told us before. I would like to fight the winner of that, which is cool. It's a 
it's a very interesting time in the sport right now, as far as coverage goes, because like, you know, we're seeing you on CBS, which is a very big deal this past Saturday. And then over on the other channel, we saw Laura Sanko make her UFC color commentary debut. And it's just really great to see different voices and hear different voices and these different opportunities in the space and, and, and seeing women, hardworking women like yourself get their opportunities to, to hone their craft in a space that is mostly occupied by, by men. And, you know, Megan will leave you shout out to her. Another example of a great voice in the space is a roving reporter. And you're you, in a small way. And you seem very humble. You're, you're a, you're a part of this sort of movement in the MMA space. And it is a newer sport. We are the baby compared to the NFL and the NBA, et cetera. But this is happening right now. Like, what does it mean to you to, to be a part of this? It's, I guess I don't think about it that much because it's like a job and I just want it to be, I mean, it's the same with women in, in all industries. It's like, oh, we've, we finally made it when we're stopping talking about it, but it is good to talk about. And I, I'm very proud of it. Um, and those two women, I'm huge fans of them. I think, you know, I think we want people to know we take this very seriously. And I've always told any person that I am working with, or if I'm in a job interview, like the clothes, the hair, all of it. First of all, I wish I could just wear a hoodie all day. I came from set, told, like, but as soon as I'm done, I am in sweats immediately. But we take it very seriously and we study very, very hard. And that will always be priority number one. I want people to know I am talking about my shit. And, and not just that we're students of the game too, at least I am right now, they have more experience than me, but you know, we love it just as much. And also like female fighters, there's so many female fighters out there that deserve to be celebrated. And I think it's great, you know, that we are getting more attention to these female fighters and, you know, just not necessarily even evening the playing field, but just being a part of it and just know like, look, we're, we're serious about this shit. We care a lot about it. Absolutely. Um, couple last things. I know you're in the busy, in the middle of a, just an absolutely hectic week in your career, but do you have like, I don't know if favorite fighter is the right word, but is, is there like a can't miss fighter for you on the roster? Like if you weren't on a broadcast, but fighter X is on the card and you finished up work and you threw your sweats back on and all plans are canceled, you know, I'm going to watch this person fight no matter what. Is there anybody there that sticks out to you? I mean, everyone, I, I want to say everyone, because like I said, it's when you get to know these guys and girls and you get to know their stories, you can't help. It's the same thing with any sport that I cover. People ask like, what's your favorite sport to cover? I fall in love with their stories so much. And I care so much about and respect the work that they put in. Um, I'm, I'm, I will tell you, I'm thrilled to see Amazon return next month. Like I'll be there in Dublin, or I guess it's this month. See, I don't even know what month it is. Um, but yeah, on the 25th in February, did, did you see the video of him pulling his belt? Oh yeah. Incredible. Out of his mom's rubbled home. And I mean, he did like, we, I don't know how much we'll get into that night. The stuff he saw was insane and just things that none of us would ever want to see. And it was his country that said, you have to go back to fight. We want you to represent us and people and strangers and stuff like that. It wasn't his decision to come back. He was asked like, please, please, please go back. We need something to cheer for. And I saw him um, with Mike Brown at American Top Team and he is working his 
pass on. And him and Johnny Eblen um, are really close. They're like brothers. And and Johnny pulled him. He wanted to make sure I knew that Amosov was there and went to like a room, pulled him out. He's like, this is my brother. This is the best guy in here. And everybody should be excited to watch his return. And I was like, like he is drenched in sweat, Amosov. And I'm just like, just rippled. Like he is, he is in shape. Not that he ever wasn't, but he is good to go. And like, it's, I talk about emotional return in another way, but it's going to be absolutely incredible. And I am so freaking honored to be there and it's going to be amazing. So maybe not like overall number one, but that's the one you should be watching next. Yeah. That's gonna be crazy. And that's the, that's the Dublin card. So, oh, you get to be, you get to be in the midst of, of that craziness too, because that Dublin card does never not been. mess around. I've never been. Seriously, I've heard so many stories, um, you know, and also like I'm a big fan of uh, Guinness and Jameson. So I got to like, we, we have a rule where like two nights before the fight, we can have a nice dinner and a couple cocktails, but, you know, night before lock it down. But yeah, I've never been there. So it's going to be, so much fun and it's a huge card i'm very very jealous and envious of you right now last oh, question I look you know i, I got it's, it's not easy shirt on there's some irish there oh I, i'd fit in great in dublin no yeah. doubt about it i can yell and scream and you know be a pest like the rest of them and that yeah. they, they take that as a compliment by the way uh super bowl pick you're there covering it um do you have a pick who's who's gonna okay. win i you know, I'm really bad. I'm I'm really bad with picks because I bet on emotion. And I have been saying all week, they asked us, I said, I think the Chiefs will win. I my my bold prediction is that Travis Kelsey is going to throw a touchdown pass and be the first tight end MVP ever. Uh so that's my bold prediction. But you ask, you know, it's really interesting. We've had so many players on. Um, I'm trying to think who we just had. I I can't remember. Um and the most former player or former players, players that aren't playing in the Super Bowl, like we have Michael Parsons on today, we've had CD Lamb. I mean, those are Cowboys guys, but whatever. Um, they think the Eagles are a more well-rounded team. And a lot of people think the Eagles could pull the upset, but the age and the experience of Andy Reid and that Chiefs team, I mean, I don't I don't know how to bet against Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. It's really, really hard. I'd love to see the Eagles win. I went to Oklahoma. Jalen Hurts is there for a hot minute, but yeah, I guess I guess I'll go Chiefs. I don't know. I mean, if Tra- if Travis Kelsey throws a touchdown pass, I'm tweeting you immediately and being like, you just. I mean, Robin. there's got to be if if there's a betting line on Travis Kelsey throws a touchdown pass, it's got to be like <laughs> plus four hundred eighty-seven thousand. Yeah, couple, make that money. I don't know if it's on that. somewhere, but why it's, not? It's got to be. It's got to be. But uh, Amanda, I appreciate it. I could do this for another hour, but you are in the middle of a million things. You are getting ready for the Super Bowl. You're coming off of a crazy fight week, and you're on your way to Dublin after that, which is, I mean, what a month in your career. So I appreciate your time. Like I said before, I think you're doing a tremendous job. I've been wanting to do this for a while. Shout out to the Bellator crew for making this happen. My man, CJ, and... uh Enjoy the rest of the week. Take some time off after Sunday and uh, and relax a little bit. And then right back Honestly, after. I think I'm going to go to Mardi Gras for like two days. Right after the Super Bowl? Yeah. Not right after. I'm going to go home. But I have like two or three days off. Mardi Gras is one of my favorite times. All right. You know, like if you, why not? I've never been. I've never been. Oh, see? You. <laughs>
we're going to get you on the right train. It's okay. All right. So Dublin and Mardi Gras. I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. But thank you, Amanda. I appreciate the time and, uh, and all the best. You enjoy the game on Sunday. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. High-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.